a naked man writes a gospel and splits up one of the greatest duos of all time. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here at Gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. Welcome, like, subscribe, comments, and what are we talking about today, Brandon? Talking of the Gospel of Mark. A new gospel today. It a is so gospel. good. It is almost the same as the last gospel. Almost. We'll get, we'll get into that. Um, <clears throat> this last time it was your fault that you were sick, and I shamed you publicly for it. Yes. This time I was sick, and therefore... The episode did not get released on time. And I did not shameless shame you publicly. Yeah, you were going to. I just preempted <laughs> it. Just got ahead of that. Shame myself. Um, yeah, because now, again, we know, like, if you get sick, it's entirely your fault because you're just a morally bad person. Oh, that's so, true. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that you were morally inferior. Now I realize I'm morally inferior. We're all, so, we all need Jesus, right? You know, yeah, we just, we need the great physician. So <laughs> it's good to know. But hey, um, uh, it was very mild, mild sickness, but, uh, you know. If you get sick, you just can't be around people. You're a pariah. That's true. Yep. Leprosy. That's our, yep. That's our world we're in. Yep. So in the Gospels, we're getting multiple angles on the story of Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, we're seeing his, you know, the the key events in the whole Bible are the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Right. right? That's what it's all about. And so we get four different perspectives. So today we're in the Gospel of Mark. And like I said, Mark shares about 90% of its content with the Gospel of Matthew. So it's ton in common, and obviously there's some sort of relationship in terms of you know somebody kind of borrowed from someone else or used someone else's gospel as the basis for their accounts mm-hmm. uh, to some degree. And most people think, well, I don't know if I can say most. Who knows what the consensus is? But we kind of are taking the perspective that Mark was written first, and then Matthew kind of built on Mark's narrative. I think uh, most people, from what I've heard, think yeah, Mark is the first one. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's like who. Whenever someone says most scholars believe X, it's like not true because <laughs> there's a bajillion opinions. But so, but Mark and its structure and how it presents things gives us a different perspective that is very helpful and I think very interesting. Hmm. And so as we go through this, there's a ton of stuff to to talk about. So we won't go through necessarily all the same narrative accounts again and again. Mm-hmm. I just don't see a reason for that. But we will deal with some specific questions that probably came up for you as you were reading. Yeah, things like. Why does Jesus keep telling everyone not to tell who he is? Right. Uh, or what about the ending of Mark? Why does my Bible have a, a note that like breaks that ending off from the rest of the text and it seems like it's disjointed? Right. Um, so we'll deal with that as well. So a lot, of, a lot of interesting questions with this text that I'm excited to get into. So first, let's deal with uh, who wrote Mark. Yeah. Well, who wrote Mark? I, what do you think? Who do you think wrote Mark? Ah, the gospel according... Mark. Mark, yeah. yes. Yeah, yep. so John Mark was his name, like uh, Billy Bob or <laughs> Jimmy Johns or... <laughs> that's Jim, different. <laughs> Jimmy Johns. <laughs> uh, but he got two names, so he's kind of known by both, but but you know, primarily Mark. And we, we have confidence that he wrote this book because of early church history is pretty much unanimous mm-hmm. uh, in his authorship. No one, no one disagrees with, with Mark in authorship. So we see the, the earliest comments about this book say that Mark wrote it. They say, so who was, who, why, was, why was Mark writing it? Well, because Mark was actually a disciple of Peter. And so the earliest testimony to this gospel say uh, Mark wrote it based upon Peter's accounts. Hmm. So as he was being discipled, he was following Peter, hearing his presentation of the gospel, he was 
putting together his own uh, account of, mm. the, of the gospel story. So everything in, everything in the New Testament is written either by a, an apostle or by someone who's in the apostolic company, mm-hmm. so someone who's a friend of and associated with the rest of the apostles. So in this case, you know, Matthew was an apostle, mm-hmm. one of the original 12 disciples, and Mark is the second group. He's an, one of the apostolic company, so he's writing uh, kind of on behalf of Peter is a way to think of it. So, um, so, gos- so the Gospel of Mark at times really does sound like an eyewitness account. Yeah, like there's certain things like that are that just really stand out. Like when Simon of Cyrene is is called to carry the cross of Jesus, he even throws in there who Simon's kids were. Mm. You know, so he's he. This really sounds like an actual eyewitness account of someone who knew the people, knew the events. Or when he's talking about the feeding the five thousand, he mentions that there was grass in that place. Yeah, why would you put that word there? Yeah, Yeah. just like little details that. you know, we might have in our novels today, but back then in their writings, they didn't have stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it really, it just sounds like someone who was familiar with these accounts on a, on a really firsthand basis. So this is probably Peter's retelling that he's then retelling, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And who was Mark? So we know from the Bible, we know actually a lot from the New Testament about who John Mark is. So first we know he's the cousin of Barnabas. Mm-hmm. So Colossians 4.10 talks about this. Um, he's the, the cousin of Barnabas. So Barnabas, if you remember, he is the, the guy who recruits the Apostle Paul. So he mm-hmm. brings the Apostle Paul in, kind of develops him for ministry, and then they Barnabas and Paul go out on these missions together. Uh, he, Like we said, he was a disciple of Peter. So 1 Peter 5 tells us this. 1 Peter 5.13, Peter says, She who is at Babylon, that probably means Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting, and so does Mark, my son. So the fact that he calls Mark his son is probably very significant. It might indicate that he actually um, was the one who converted Mark. Mm. So Mark may have come to the faith under Peter. Um, and so Mark's gospel, because it's Peter's account, it does seem to focus a little more on Peter mm. specifically. So you probably notice that as you read. And also people will say that Mark's gospel actually sounds like one of Peter's sermons. Interesting. This this I actually hadn't really considered before, but people point out in Acts chapter 10, so Acts 10, 36 to 41, mm-hmm. Peter gives a sermon that sounds in structure, it sounds like an outline of the Gospel of Mark. Hmm. You know, it talks about Jesus was baptized, and then he, you know, preached in Galilee, and then, it, and as, as he goes through this, it really does reflect Mark's Gospel. And so a lot of people think that, oh, this this reflects that, so maybe that's kind of Peter's, stump speech sermon, you know, when you go around, he gives some sort of outline like that. And so Mark is just following that, mm. which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, he was also a disciple of Paul and a coworker with Paul. Right. So, I mean, this guy, he was a disciple of Peter and of Paul. Right. I don't know. I'm trying to think of anyone else <laughs> in the New Testament who was a disciple of both. That's pretty, that's pretty insane. But, but he worked with uh, Paul. So in Philemon, we see uh, Paul writing, he says, this is Philemon, verses 23 and 24. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So Luke being, of course, <clears throat> the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. So he's he's recounting his people who's, who are with him, and one of them is Mark. And he actually joins up with uh, Barnabas and Paul, also known as Saul, in Acts 12, 25. So we see them get together, go on a mission, one of the trips that, that they take. But um, 
But Mark actually abandons them. So in the next chapter, in Acts 13, 13, we see that Mark, he leaves them. And it's we don't really know the, the circumstances of that. We don't know if he just bailed. We don't know if, yeah, we just don't know how, how bad that was or whatever. But we do seem to have an, a feeling of what Paul's perspective of it was <laughs> because two chapters later in Acts, he causes a split between Barnabas and, and Paul. Right. So in Acts 15, 37 and following, we see this this account of you know Barnabas wants to take John Mark, and that makes sense because Barnabas his son means his name means son of encouragement, mm-hmm. and Barnabas was that guy right he's a guy who saw Saul, who saw Saul and said he's going to be the apostle Paul he's going to be this great missionary mm-hmm. when no one else did right he's the guy who could could call things out in people whereas I think Paul is just the guy who's trying to plow forward and make the mission happen mm. so Paul sees Mark as the guy who abandoned them and Barnabas sees him as the guy who's going to write the Gospel of Mark someday, you know. Yeah. I mean, and and so Paul says, "No, we're not taking him." And in verse thirty-nine, it says there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Mm. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and then Paul um, went with Silas and departed. And they both did great work. They both did great missions work. But this is, I mean, this a sharp disagreement is an intense thing. No. They had they had a real disagreement here, and so. Yeah, so Mark is the Yoko Ono of the <laughs> the New Testament. Nice. Is that I mean that's like a way outdated reference though. We need someone Yeah. I don't know pop culture at all. So. Probably no one that listens to this. No, no one listens to this knows pop culture either? Probably not. Probably that's probably true. That's yeah. probably true. <laughs> um, <laughs> do I want to know anything about modern pop culture? No. Yeah. No. But there is redemption yeah. in the story of, of John Mark. And amazing, and this has been pointed out by countless people, but in Second <laughs> Timothy chapter four. So this is the last book that Paul writes, Second Timothy, and he and he mentions at the very end this. He says, "Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry." That's oh, a happy ending. Yep. So Mark gets his redemption. They become partners again in the ministry, and of course, he writes the gospel, which right. is say a pretty good life accomplishment. Yeah, you know? he yeah. <laughs> write one of the, the most read books of all time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Great. But doesn't get any, uh, you know, kickback for that. But <laughs> yeah, it's true. No more cra- crowns in heaven, maybe. <clears throat> um, all right, cool. So we've looked at kind of who Mark is. You know, we can agree that he wrote this book. Yeah. Um, we've seen his life a little bit, but uh, does he actually appear in the gospel? Sometimes the the writers include themselves, you know, in the accounts. But do we see Mark in Mark? Yeah, I mean, honest the honest answer is we just don't really know because it doesn't say specifically his name. Right. But a lot of people think he appears in chapter fourteen. In the arrest account of Jesus, interesting. So, yeah, Mark Mark fourteen fifty one, and I'm not joking. This is a real. A lot of people think this is Mark here. It says a young man followed him. This is after Jesus is arrested. It says a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Nice. So that is. So that's is Mark scripture. apparently. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so a lot of people think that, well, why would he include this detail of this guy running away naked? Because that's Mark. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean. It's so it, weird. Like, yeah. like like we were talking earlier, it's just, it, this is you're getting to the climax of the whole book, and then there's this random, like Jesus is literally just taken, and then there's this little detail of a guy running away naked. Yeah. It is bizarre. It is absolutely bizarre. <laughs> um, and why is he out there with just a, a cloth, like... <laughs> Yeah, very strange. So is that Mark? You know, we report, you decide, I guess. So obviously at the intro, we, we you know, we're implying that it was him. But um, <laughs> but yeah, very strange. But also, again, a detail that if 
if it wasn't Mark, it it does speak to the fact that this was an eyewitness, you know, because again, you include these little details yeah. that they seem important to him, don't seem important to, to me, right? You know, like you could have gone without that and just given us the meat. But anyway, maybe like so. In retrospect, all the other apostles are making fun of him for this moment, so he had to add it in or something. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> he is really hard on the other, other disciples. We'll talk about that later, but yeah. he just really rags on them a lot. So, um, you know, sometimes it's fun to talk about where physically the actual book was written. So where did Mark write this, or where do we think he did? Yeah, so I think the general consensus is he probably wrote it when he was in Rome. Okay. And there's a couple reasons for that, right? So one, you know, Paul or Peter saying he, you know, that Mark is with him mm-hmm. and the reference to Babylon, like I said in First Peter five, mm-hmm. that may be, you know, him saying that he that he's in Rome and that Mark's with him. So that and and there's a, you know some historical evidence to say that Peter was in Rome. Um, but there's also this mention of Rufus. So as I mentioned in chapter fifteen, verse twenty one, it speaks of Simon of Cyrene, and he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. So it's a very strange comment mm-hmm. to mention his sons unless they were known to the people you're writing to. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like who are Alexander and Rufus? Right. But Rufus is mentioned in Romans sixteen thirteen. So could there have been more than one Rufus? Of course, of <laughs> course. But it just seems like there may be a connection there because of someone being mentioned like that was probably a known person. Right. So. Uh, so maybe Simon of Cyrene was converted, or his kids were converted and became part of the church mm-hmm. in Rome. That's a that's a conjecture, but it's possible. And then another thing people point out is this: this focus throughout the book on the high cost of discipleship, suffering, uh, that it's difficult to follow Jesus, mm-hmm. seems to fit with a persecution context. Yeah. So so maybe Rome was that context where they're you know suffering a lot at the hands of the Roman emperors as they're trying to become enemies of the state. That may that may be true. Yeah. Again, that's probably the best proof is First Peter five thirteen. Mm-hmm. But the other things maybe speak to, you know, inform that a little bit as well. Very good. Okay, when, about when was this gospel written? Probably fifties or sixties. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't want to go into like all the details of that because it's just not that important for most people listening. But um, this was probably written very early, mm-hmm. so fifties or sixties. We said Matthew was probably like mid sixties, so I would say it was before that. So very cool. Fifties is very likely. Yeah. Early. So, yeah. yeah, first gospel written very early. And that means, like, this was, if it was in the 50s, it was within like 20 years. Yeah, of, after Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, people are still alive. I mean, a lot of people are still alive that were present there for that. Crazy thing about it. Yeah. Means you got to be accurate because people can call you out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's true. All right. So, um, we talked about in some of the previous episodes this year. Um, this is one of the synoptic gospels. Yeah. Let's do a little bit of a review on that. Yeah. So, synoptic, just to remind you, those are the gospels that have a similar perspective, right? They see together. And what we said was that there's a similar structure in the synoptic gospels. So, there'll yeah. be an intro to Jesus, his public ministry in which tension is building. Mm-hmm. And then the pivotal point in each of these gospels is the confession of Peter. That's sort of the hinge of the gospel. So it goes kind of more from public ministry to private ministry or something like that. Yeah. And here we're going to see it's kind of a transition into the Passion Week. Mm-hmm. So, And then, uh, of course, it ends with the Passion of Jesus and Resurrection. Right. So we're going to see that similar pattern here in the Gospel of Mark. And he focuses a lot on the Galilean ministry mm-hmm. and then goes and spends half the Gospel essentially on the Passion Week. Yeah. So, Very cool. Awesome. So major themes in the Gospel of Mark, and obviously they're about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, each one has a specific special interest. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So one of the big things that we see is a focus on action in the Gospel of Mark. Everyone observes this. This is like the most easy thing to see. 
most easy easiest thing to say in mm-hmm. the gospel is that they keep he keeps using this word immediately oh, just yeah. in the first first, the first chapter, chapters it's like you know. immediately immediately you know he's just like frantic so he's very focused on action the majority of the miracles of Jesus are recorded in the gospel of mark mm. so of course they're repeated in other places but he records over half of Jesus's miracles that we know of mm. there's not a lot of fluff in this gospel it's yeah. getting to the meat of what he's doing and uh, so, so action is a big theme, and that probably ties with the theme of servanthood. Jesus is the portrayed as the servant in Mark, mm. not exclusively because he's obviously clearly the son of David, the king, all those things. But there's a focus on his action, which seems to point to his servant, and that connects to Isaiah 53 as well. Mm. There's a theme of really the identity of Jesus, mm. the question of who is Jesus. It really kind of fr- structures the entire book you'll see these questions about Jesus' identity being asked at key points and being answered at the very end. Hmm. Um, and so that's very important to see this. And with the identity, there's, again, the servant metaphor or picture. There's also the son of God. That phrase is very important yeah. in terms of the structure of the book, and that's going to be a big part of answering his identity and who he is. Very cool. Um, Passion Week is a big focus, like I said. Martin uh, Koller. Kaler, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's some German dude, I think. But he, you know, his famous quote is that Mark, the, the Gospels are a passion narrative with an extended introduction. And for Mark, that really does seem to be true. It's yeah. about like it's about half uh, passion. So, and then the last thing I would say is that there's a focus on discipleship, a focus on the high cost of following Jesus, the difficulty of following Jesus. Mm. So we're going to see that brought out as well. So. It's pretty simple, straightforward gospel, and I, I think a lot of us are going to like that as we read. Awesome, man. So um, just in a literary sense, what's the outline? How does it separate? Yeah, out really simple outline here. Uh, ch- chapters 1 through 8 is Jesus' ministry, mm-hmm. so um, up until you know the second half of chapter 8. But chapter 8, 31 to chapter 10 is his journey to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of the turning point, so we'll see that confession of Peter to set off this section and then him going to Jerusalem. And then chapters 11 to 16 is Passion Week. Cool. So it's really kind of two sections with this hinge in the middle. Yeah, pretty simple. You can think of it. So yeah, very, very simple, straightforward structure. Love it. Um, If you were to sum up why this gospel is written, you know, obviously to express, you know, the gospel of Jesus, but yes, yeah. yeah. To, to to ask the to evoke the question really yeah. and get an answer out of the audience of who is Jesus and is mm-hmm. he worth following? It's mm-hmm. all about the identity of Jesus and following him, being a disciple of his. Mm. So the way it's written, I, as I read through it again, I'm like, man, this is really fascinating. Especially the ending. I think the ending is very fascinating, very provocative, and is helpful for us in a very practical way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, who is Jesus and how do you follow him? Awesome. Cool. Well, you want to jump into the text and we'll uh, after. Yeah. Let's you know. get in. Let's get in. We spent about half our time going through the intro stuff. Yeah. But that's, that's all just so important, you know, to set up for the book. Mm-hmm. So it starts off, I mean, you can really see the theme right here, right? Mark 1 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Hmm. So all, every word here is so important. He's very focused on this word gospel in his gospel, right? right? So gospel being good, good news. So Mark is focusing on the gospel. And he really wants to convey the importance of Jesus giving a message. Mm-hmm. We'll see that more in, in, the, in chapter 1. So he's, he's speaking to the good news, and it's the good news of Jesus, who is the Christ. So he, up front, he is very clear Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't hide that at all. Right. Even though Jesus at times will, will want to diminish that or, or hide right. it, yeah. which we'll speak to. 
uh, but he is the Christ, and he's also the Son of God. Mm. So this is very important as well, that Jesus is, um, we see that this does speak in part to his divinity, but it's also a uh, phrase that just speaks to someone's kingship, mm. that he is the Son of God. He's inheriting that role from from Jacob and from David, right? That he is the Son of God, who's so fulfilling all those promises to Israel. And really, we see phrases like this when in in uh, Greek culture and in Roman culture, when a victory would be won, they would proclaim the gospel of Julius Caesar or the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Right. And those emperors would be called the Son of God as well. Hmm. So if you're a Roman, the Son of God for you would be the emperor. Mm-hmm. The, the gospel would be the, the latest victory you won. Right. So for Jesus to speak in this way shows that he's a king, bringing a kingdom, and that he's transcending the government of this world. Right? Yeah. He's doing something that is beyond what people have experienced before. Yeah. And that he's going to accomplish something in real history, a real victory mm. of sorts. So, yeah, so this this verse, I mean, starts us in, in a really good direction yeah, and lays out for us exactly who Jesus is going to be, and it's hard to miss. Yeah, it's, it's totally different than Matthew, which we looked at previously, right? Yeah. Matthew just starts out with the genealogy, emphasizing yes. like the kingship of Christ and stuff, but this is totally different. Yeah, know? like we said, not a great attention grabber if you give yeah. a speech. <laughs> this is. Yeah. I mean, whoa, if, if you're in that culture, this is going to say a lot to you. This is a lot of weight. Right. So, okay, how are you going to prove that? Uh, Jesus really is this Messiah. Mm-hmm. Well, he gets into it with you know this quote from Isaiah chapter 40 and Malachi 3. So, he, I mean, Matthew focused a ton on Old Testament fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark doesn't as much. But here he does at the beginning show this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So he's, John the Baptist is a fulfillment of Elijah's ministry and this prophecy uh, in Malachi 3 about one who's going to come to prepare the way for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So we see imagery of John the Baptist with him having a, a leather belt and camel's hair, a skin of camel's hair. So th- this is very unique because the Bible doesn't speak much to people's appearance. Mm-hmm. Like we saw in the Old Testament with Absalom when it speaks to his hair and all this stuff. Like it's very unique that it would m- right. make this much of a mention and it's very significant in that story. Here this is significant as well because this is the same way that Elijah was described hmm. in yeah. First Kings. I, f- I don't know the reference off the top of my head. I think First Kings 10 or something like that. But he's described as wearing camel's hair and having a leather belt. Hmm. So... John is supposed to be a picture of Elijah. Hmm. Not that he's like the same exact person, but he's fulfilling the ministry of Elijah, right. which we saw, again, go back to listen to those those episodes. But we talked about Elijah preparing the way for Elisha. There's a lot of connections to Jesus with Elisha and John the Baptist with Elijah. Mm-hmm. So, But all to say, here he is conscious of this, and he's saying John the Baptist is coming to prepare the way for Jesus. Hmm. Now, the baptism of Christ is very significant because... He's he's baptized, obviously, which, you know, he's not doing it for the same reason we do, but he's doing it to identify with his people. And when he's, when he, this is sort of his anointing as a king, right. and when he's raised back up, again, the question that's going to be asked throughout the Gospel of Mark is, who is Jesus? And we have a really important answer here. <laughs> yeah. We had one in verse 1, right, the Son of God, but we have one here as well. Right, that it's a voice came from heaven saying, "You are my beloved son; mm-hmm. with you, I am well pleased." Right. So Jesus, so God the Father is affirming what Mark is saying in his gospel, um, his sort of like introduction. Right, God is saying the same thing: "This is my beloved son." Yeah, and this this brings back to Genesis twenty-two again, and the mm-hmm. offering of the beloved son, and then of course um, 
you know, we see this throughout with the firstborn son metaphor in Exodus. But God is clearly saying that this is the son of God. Mm -hmm. So hold on to that because that's, again, that son of God theme will will help us throughout the book. It'll structure the book in a big way. Um, And then we see his message in verses 14 and 15. The, the message is the gospel of God, verse 14, mm-hmm. saying the, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Yeah. So a lot of mentions of the word gospel yeah. in the beginning. You don't, you don't get it in any other place. Right? Like he's, <laughs> yeah. God, he's going to do something to bring a real change. Right? So the action of Christ will accomplish a real victory for God's people, yeah. and the kingdom of God is present. So there's a, there's a lot going on here at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first miracle of Jesus is in chapter 1. Again, not his first, the first miracle in the Gospel of Mark, I should say. No. And this first miracle evokes a question. So he, he heals a man with an unclean spirit, and they were astonished that he did this. And the, the demon actually starts to speak to who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So, verse 24 What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Holy One of God is really synonymous with Son of God. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, this is a so the demon is acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, that he is in some, you know, sense divine, mm-hmm. that we don't necessarily all know entirely yet. But Jesus commands him to be silent. And the response from the crowd is verse 27. They say, What is this? Mm-hmm. A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Mm-hmm. So they're asking the question of what is this, or you could really say, who is this? Mm-hmm. Who is this person? What is going on? How does he have this kind of a power? Right. So we see that question being asked, um, and the Gospel of Mark is aiming to answer that for us. It already has in some ways, right? But, but notice, like I said, how fast things happen. It's, you know, in this little section here at the beginning of the Gospel, we have John the Baptist, baptism, temptation of Jesus. That's like a whole chapter in Matthew. Yeah. And it's then, yeah, two verses. Yeah. And then calling the first disciples, healing. He heals some more. He preaches some more. So Mark isn't spending time, you know, sitting and, and pondering these things. He's just going through them really quickly yeah. to give you a picture. I do like Mark's emphasis on like the preaching of uh, Jesus's ministry. You know, it's like obviously there's a, like when you, at first reading, you definitely see like he's healing people and doing all this. But, even verse like uh, 38 of chapter 1, it says, and they said, then let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, couple that with, you know, Jesus' ministry to proclaim the gospel, you know, earlier in the chapter. It's like, it's all about him proclaiming the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Yep, yep, so. exactly. So he's not, even though this is the action gospel, it doesn't, he doesn't want you to mistake that these these actions were the point. Mm-hmm. And Jesus wasn't just healing for the sake of healing. Yeah. Like he had an actual mission, which is to proclaim a message. And so right. if anything could hinder him from that, he was going to stop doing that. Yeah. Including helping people. Yeah. Pretty crazy. But very important for us to understand. Yeah. So we see in chapter two, only got a couple minutes left here. So chapter two, the healing of the paralytic. This also points to the special purpose of his ministry, right? Mm-hmm. So he says to the guy who's brought, you know, lowered down, he says, you're forgiven. Right. And everyone starts to say, well, huh? who, who is this, yeah. right? Who, how, how can this person say this, right? Yeah, what is this man blaspheme? Yeah. So again, the question of who is Jesus, how can he speak this way? And he asks this question of, well, which is easier, to forgive someone's sins or to heal them? Which I always am like, I, I think it's easier to heal someone than to forgive their <laughs> sins. But, uh, you know, I guess that's kind of a, the question. But he does he does the healing. 
and he evokes that question again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he shows that everything is about doing this for the forgiveness of sinners. Right. So he, he's more focused on the forgiveness than he is the healing. Mm-hmm. And the next section, he's challenged again because he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And he says, I came out for sinners. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm here. I'm for, here for sinners. Yeah, for the sick. Yeah. So we're seeing that, that message of Jesus and what he's all about. Yeah. In chapter 3, we see another unclean spirit calling Jesus the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Very important. So chapter 3, verse 11. And so he has powers over these spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. And um, this is you know, obviously a compelling case for his identity. Right. Um, but there's also this division. So there's going to be division between the, the powerful are not convinced of who Jesus is, and even Jesus' own family. At the end of the chapter, yeah. they're trying to get to him. And the reason trying to get to him is in chapter 321, because they thought he was out of his mind. Mm. So people, who is Jesus? It, there's a lot of confusion here, and we'll kind of see some more tension built next mm. next week. Cool. Um, awesome. So right. how should we live? Well, I, I mean, I think it's important for us to see from this, the gospel is the primary thing, right? Not social so work. Not seems like what Mark's... Cause. Yeah, point us to. but the, the good news of Jesus, that so we should live like it. Yeah, it's simple. Simple and good. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's all we got time for today. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, and we will see you next week for the next section of the Gospel of Mark.